Hello, and welcome to episode uno of season 14 of Listener Questions, the longest-running A Game of Thrones LCG podcast to have never changed its regular host lineup. I am your regular host, James Ormsley, and I am joined by my special guest host, Matt Herdman. Say hi, Matt. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, good evening again, Matt, because um, as people that follow the Listener Questions Facebook page might have seen, uh, we've actually already recorded this entire season once uh, and had a delightful recording snafu uh, where all of the things that Matt said, uh, which was most of the content of the episodes, uh, was lost to time. I mean, you say that, but I feel it was sabotage. I feel I upstaged you and now you've got rid of it so you can steal all my ideas. I mean, that's basically what's happened. The long plan. I thought the episodes were too good. Um, so now they can be slightly stilted because it won't be spontaneous because we've already discussed this before. Yeah. I can steal any of the really good points you made. Exactly. You know, bring you down to raise me up. That's the aim. <laughs> I mean, that's my aim in every melee game, so. <laughs> um, so yeah, for people that don't know, don't know you, Matt, you are from the London meta. You are a good player of the game as shown by several tournament victories. And just high performances generally, King in the Swiss at last year's Nationals, uh, making top 16 and melee at Starlink. So you can play both formats. Uh, yes, I can, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm all right, yeah. Like I said, I play out the cross keys meta. Doing all right, though, you know, I'm a scrub now. Missed the cut at the <laughs> Grand Championships this year, so back to, back to normalcy. Missing the cut on strength of schedule at one tournament does not make you a scrub. I regret to inform you. It does to me, you know. I expect nothing from the best for myself. Yeah, that's fair. And that, that is one of the reasons why you're a, a Thrones War regent for the UK Thrones War this year. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, I'm probably a bit of a heel pick. <laughs> and uh, hopefully I'll be able to wind some people up and, you know, hopefully not offend anyone, but have a good time. Sorry, the point where you said you were a heel pick, I was probably going to say, no, no, you're not. Not just sort of laugh. No, I think I definitely am. <laughs> <laughs> you know... The problem, I always make the, a terrible first impression with people and, you know, in Thrones, it's sometimes the only impression you ever make on people. Well, I'm sure everyone will get to know the real you over this season of listener questions and yeah, then it will I mean, be well. That could be worse, so who knows? Yeah. OK, uh, so on that note, shall we get on with it? Yeah. All righty. Uh, so our question this episode comes from Vince T and it is... Could we explore the new agenda, the prince that was promised? Could it become the new default agenda, a bit like the wars to come or fealty in their time? It gives great card advantage, the insurance that a very important character is never dead, and the stand of the very important or impactful character. This looks a lot like the canons of what has been successful in this game since the core set. Is it just a silly thought, or is there some reasons to think it? So, Matt, could we explore the new agenda, the prince that was promised? Could it become the new default agenda, a bit like the wars to come or fealty in the time, etc., etc.? I'm not reading all that out again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty long question. Um, yeah, I think, obviously, you know, like I said earlier, we've kind of discussed this before, and I think after that discussion, maybe is the answer I sort of came up with. Yeah, so I guess rough spoilers. When we recorded this the first time, Matt and I both came into it thinking the answer was going to be, it's a good agenda, but no. And then we kind of half talked ourselves around to it over the course of the episode. Only half. I still don't think it will be a default to the degree that Fealty is. 
But yeah, the answer may surprise you, listeners. Well, I hope it will surprise us. Maybe we'll yeah, this time we come to a completely different conclusion. That'll be yeah. that'll be interesting for me to look back on. So yeah, I guess firstly we need to sort of determine what we mean when we say a default agenda. Because I guess for me, what that means is it's never going to change what you're including in the deck, or at least it's only minimally going to change what you're including in the deck. Um, so like, it's one of those things where, oh, I don't know exactly what agenda this deck should be running, so I guess I'll make it whatever the default agenda is. And I think certainly for Fealty and Wars, there are arguments that that's the case. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's Definitely. a bit more to it. There's a sort of like power level as well, um, which comes into it. Because I mean, like, subject to what plots you're including, you can make an argument that like Kings of Summer was a default agenda, but you only ever see it in, you know, builders or just Tyrell like good stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think you know that is definitely the first strand of being a default agenda. Does it just slot into things that already exist? Does it then just kind of give those a little bit of a boost, or is it? The other option would be it's so powerful that you just have to play it because why would you play anything else? Yeah. And, you know, so we'll see if we come to that conclusion at the end of this. Yeah. So I guess what makes, like, I guess what makes the case for fealty being a default agenda is relatively obvious. First of all, the downside is very easy to build around, especially now. Like in the core set environment when everyone's economy... Uh, was neutral so you know you, every deck was run, running three rose roads it was running three king's roads it probably needed to have three milk of the poppy um it probably needed to have bodyguards and then you know that's most of your 15 neutral slots used up already um yeah where, whereas now you know we've got the two cost limited uh locations uh we've got the two cost non-limited economy locations and then this cycle we've had the one cost limited locations plus, you know, the odd extra one here and there. So it's a lot easier to have, you know, most of the, the neutral spaces free for whatever you need. Plus, obviously, you know, bodyguards aren't an auto-include, you know, milks even aren't an auto-include, although arguably for a lot of decks they still should be. In short, you've, you've got a lot more room to not, like, bang your head against the ceiling of that 15-card limit. So you can, in a lot of decks, slot fealty in, and it's just strictly better than no agenda. Yeah, I mean, I think any agenda is probably strictly better than no agenda, right? Well, and I mean, if you were running, you know, like 30 neutral cards, I'd argue you'd rather have that be no agenda than fealty. I mean, Brotherhood Without Banners, maybe? I don't know. But what if, what if the non-neutral cards include really key loyal characters? Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, and like you said, you know, you mentioned the econ, but, and fealty just gives you econ, the, you know, your deck runs an econ, it needs money, Fealty just gives you that one extra thing a turn to really push you ahead, um, outpace your opponent if they haven't got it. You mentioned in the econ locations, we've got the two-cost ones, the non-limited ones, and the new gates. All of those are loyal. It, you know, the in- There's probably an increased number of loyal cards now in your deck as well, so it's probably got better now than it probably was last year. Yeah, the downside has gotten less impactful and the upside has gotten more impactful. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's nothing really that you have to play around with. There's no, like, fulfilments to require when you're playing the game with Fealty. So it's not really going to change your game plan. It just gives you gold and every game plan needs gold. Yeah. Like, I think increasingly the game has become 
more about impactful plot effects than it has about economy plot effects, at least for me. And part of that is stuff like trade routes being restricted to make that style of play harder. But I think, especially since we got at the gates, I've found it being the case that my decks basically don't run an economy plot other than at the gates round one. Um, and then if you're running, you know, Gates of the Moon or Great Hall for two gold around effectively, and you're getting a gold around from Fealty, then that's three extra economy around, and that frees up a lot of space in your plot deck for the more interesting effects. And I think that is a key part of being able to be a default agenda is, you know, if you're running, I don't know, like Lord of the Crossing, say, maybe you've got room in your plot deck to put in, I don't know, trading with the Pentoshi or, you know, Fallen from Favor or whatever your preferred high gold plot is. Um, but I think part of being a default agenda is allowing you to have room to have your plot deck impact your game. Yeah, and I guess that leads perfectly into Wars to Come. Yeah, exactly. You, you spotted the, the subtle segue I was setting up yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when Wars to Come came out, it was the default agenda. I mean, Fealty fell by the wayside. Uh, at the time, I was pretty down on Fealty. I never really sort of considered it as an agenda. Obviously, now it's Wars is restricted. But what did Wars give you? It gave you three extra slots in your plot deck. You know, so much flexibility in that. You know, that's always going to be good. Plot slots are the tightest ones in the game, so and also probably the most impactful cards in the game, so getting three of those extra is perfect. You didn't have to change anything in your deck from your fealty or any other build. You know, there's no requirements. There's not even a neutral limit on it. And then the one thing that fealty doesn't have going for it is that it's faction card kneel, whereas Wars to Come frees up your faction card kneel, which is, you know another key piece and that kind of allows you a lot more flexibility you know if you're running a deck with a lot of faction card kneel maybe like martel obviously martel wars has got synergy with other things but not having to kneel your agenda so you can use secret schemes yeah. is kind of a big deal as well yeah and like in obviously when wars was unrestricted we also had mace tyrell unrestricted and yeah his faction kneel was a very important part of the tyrell wars decks um more recently you know, we've seen the uh, the new Balon from the King of the Isles box, uh, who is a fantastic card, but has a faction kneel restriction on him. And as a result, he doesn't see anywhere near as much play as he arguably should do, because a lot of the powerful agendas Greyjoy have been running, basically everything other than Lord of the Crossing, uh, has a faction kneel. Um, obviously, yeah. especially Sea of Blood. Yeah, and, you know, even Phil to me, and I sort of looked at him in my filthy deck and you think I can't really justify the faction card nil, especially when it's another seven coster and I'm running two of the seven costers. No, three of the seven costers. So Yeah. But know. Asher you're on a Victorian, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, you're on the best you're on it. Of course. <laughs> um and yeah, I mean like it's essentially if you're running him in a fealty deck, he kind of if you squint has the text minus one gold around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, both of those just, you know, they're not warping your game plan. They're just giving you kind of what you want, which is either utility in your plot deck or just basic economy. Yeah. And, you know, no deck in this game is ever going to turn the nose up at either of those things. Agreed. So 
I guess we should probably answer the question. Yeah, so if we compare that to the prints that was promised, the upside it gives you is great, and uh, we'll get onto that in more detail, but it doesn't really do any of the things I'd describe as default in that regard, in that it's not helping your economy, it's not giving you more plot deck flexibility. Yeah. So it's not so much that it can't be a default agenda, so much as from that alone, it needs to, you know, be very unobtrusive and give you a good upside. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess we'll just talk about the upside now, then, you know, rather than talk about it and then stop talking about it and then repeat ourselves again. Yeah, sure, that's fair. But I mean, Vince very well describes the upside. That simultaneously, it gives you insurance on a character. You know, even if the character goes in the dead pile, you can still bring them out. Obviously. If you're making that character your prince that was promised, they're probably quite important for the deck, and having an entire deck search for it is very good. And like, even if you don't have the character out, like at its very base level, even if the character, like you could name a character, theoretically, you could name a character that wasn't in your deck, and the agenda would say after you win a power challenge by five or more strength, nail your faction card to draw a card, and like that's still not bad if it's giving you a card around. Obviously, you'd rather <laughs> have the character in play and stand them and draw a card and do cool things. But like just boiling it down to the guaranteed bit, it's saying you gain a card every time you win a power by five. Yeah, I mean, mostly what it does is draw your card each turn. You know, feel it gives you one gold, and getting one card a turn is definitely better than drawing a, uh, than gaining a gold, in my opinion. You know. Oh yeah, I don't think anyone would argue with that. Like there are cards like Old Forest Hunter exist because having the card is meant to be better than having the gold, and yeah. therefore it's an interesting decision whether you're going to trigger it or not. All those cards like his down where it goes, oh yeah, I just <laughs> throw this card away because this upside is probably too good. Yeah. But you know, I think that just demonstrates how hard it is to kind of balance that. How much gold is a card worth? Agreed. Um. And cheating your deck, you know, by that, I mean, searching for one specific card through your entire deck is powerful. It's only on a very few effects, you know, maybe five or so in the game. I think they're probably mostly in Tyrell. Yeah. I think there's one in Night's Watch, the recruitment card. Well, not the recruitment card, but Builder, Steward and Ranger, Tutor. Yes, Fresh Recruits. Fresh Recruits, that's the one. So... I mean, that's a very powerful upside that is not really seen anywhere else in the game. And you can't really deny its power. Stunning a character is really big. I mean, as we were sort of talking about earlier in the chat, Game of Thrones is more about what's happening on board than what's happening in your hands sometimes. Yeah. And stunning a character is a like huge tempo value, especially you, you probably name someone that's going to be high impact. You know, you're not going to name a church. You're going to name Cor Robert or, you know, Gregor or Tywin or something. Yeah, Daenerys. Yeah. Loads you're of good on. options. Like, yeah, whoever yeah. you name, like, as long as the most impactful character in your deck is unique, whoever you name yeah. is going to be the most impactful character in your deck. Yeah, exactly. And stunning them and getting twice as much value out of them is huge, really. I mean, that's a really big upside. Yeah, you know... I definitely think the upside of this agenda is on par with many of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we compared to Fealty. Obviously, when you're triggering it, it's better than Fealty. Um, and we'll get on to the when you're triggering it point in a moment, I guess. 
but Sea of Blood, arguably Sea of Blood is better, but then Sea of Blood's restricted. Yeah. Yeah, Reigns of Castamere. Like, obviously, the point that makes Reigns good more than anything is the threat of activation to it. But, yeah. like, just to sort of take an, uh, an example from it, every Reigns deck, or near enough every Reigns deck, one of their five scheme plots will be the power behind the throne. It's arguably the best scheme plot for that deck. Um, and that's because it lets you stand a character. Well, Prince lets you stand a character and draw a card and do other stuff every single time. It's like if your Reigns deck had just power behind the throne in it, but when you turned it, you got power behind the throne back in your scheme deck, and it was a better version of power behind the throne. Yeah. And you drew your card. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I think the threat of activation is definitely something to look into this type of agenda. I mean, this threat of activation on Sea of Blood is huge, you know. If you let activate once, that could be it. That could be what decides the game. If you manage to stop them activating ever, you've probably won. You know, their deck probably is not really doing much and is just faltering around. Yeah, you're very rarely, especially now it's restricted, but even when it wasn't, you're very rarely going to include Sea of Blood just because. Yeah, exactly. And then the threat of Reigns, I think, is always something your opponent plays around. It's always going to be like, oh, what are they going to flip into? You know, I mean, you mentioned Power of the Heron, but Wildfire, Riddle to an extent, yeah, uh, Red Weddings. Game of Thrones. Yeah, all of those are really high-impact plots in... You know, you've always got to think, what's the worst thing my opponent could flip into in Reigns and will it lose me the game? With this agenda, I really don't see the same threat. Yeah, me neither. You, know, you sort of go, oh, they'll stand that character and draw a card, which maybe it's just kind of less obvious that that's going to win them the game. But I think the impact it has is lower, so it's kind of harder to tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's... As you say, it's a lower impact play, but it's just kind of, I mean, I, I hate to use it because it's sort of like a buzzword almost, but it's just efficient. Yeah. Just to be able to, yeah, every single round you get a stand, you get a draw. Yeah, and I think the other kind of agenda to combat this one too, obviously the comparison to Reigns and Sea of Blood is obvious because they're the win by five trigger agendas. Mm. But I think this could be very much like crossing, whereas crossing is sort of like coming out of the meta. It kind of pops up every so often. And then when it does, it's sort of back and forth. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe crossing as a default agenda. Yeah, you don't build a deck. Uh, at least I don't build a deck and then just throw crossing in at the end. Yeah, exactly. You, you know from the start you're building a crossing deck. Yeah, and I think, you know, but what... Agenda has had more longevity and has seen as much play as Lord of the Crossing. Um, you know, it has fealty even seen. I mean, Crossing and fealty are one and one A, really, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. You know, obviously now Wars is restricted. That Crossing is probably, you know, definitely the second most played agenda. And we've had big spikes in the meta for it. I mean, gradually Crossing has obviously just come up in the last sort of couple of months but last year's worlds was all tar crossing last year's uk nationals was all tar crossing before that there was like a load of lanny crossing you know and that was kind of the meta mm. 
it's interesting because last year's Worlds had a lot of Targ Crossing attending it, but not yeah. a single one made the top four. Ah, yeah, interesting. So it sort of it was a, an agenda to go four and two with, and not necessarily do better than that. Yeah, and I think maybe that's what we'll see out of this. Uh, the prince that was promised. It'll be the sort of obviously when crossing rotates, it'll be kind of that rush agenda that people sort of use until we, depending on what else we get. But then we'll sort of see spikes go down again, come back up because I think the upside is strong, but. It's never going to sort of fit nicely into every meta, every deck. Yeah. I think the other problem it has compared to, I mean, as compared to crossing, compared to fealty, compared to wars, is first of all that I think the downside is a bit more pronounced. And secondly, that the upside requires cooperation from your opponent. Um, so I guess first of all, looking at the downside, other characters you control cannot gain power. Now, for a lot of decks, that's either going to have no real impact, or it's going to impact maybe a couple of characters. So you look at, obviously, Tyrell get heavily impacted by it. Stark, it basically means you don't run Fast Eddie, the, the uh, Wolves of the North version of Eddard Stark. Um, but otherwise, they can basically adapt. You know, Baratheon, you're losing, what, like, Barristan Selmy? It's, it's not a huge deal. Um, yeah, I mean, all their power game characters are not renowned, right? They're all move power from your opponent's faction card to yours. Yeah, like uh, Bastard of Night Song, stuff like that. Yeah. Like Lannister, you know, if you name me Tywin, then you lose out on Cersei, but then you just run the four gold Cersei. Um, you're losing out on Jamie and Gregor, but they're maybe, you know, they're not so much in your deck for the Renown. Like, maybe you end up cutting Jamie, but I imagine you still run Gregor with or without the Renown. Yeah, probably. Especially because a lot of Lannister tends to go in the Jumper style more, where, obviously, power isn't going to stay on the characters anyway. Yeah, I mean, if your all intention is to jump Jamie in so he does two challenges, then you can, you can care about the Renown one yeah. way or another, really. Yeah, like, in Greyjoy... You know, seven gold Asher doesn't have renown. Seven gold Victarion can be made to have renown, but it's you know it's the third most likely of the three triggers for you to actually use. Yeah, I mean, I've played Victarion for six months now, and I always never even bother with the renown. You know, you use them, you go, I could use the renown, but maybe I'm overextending, and I'm much better saving that warship deal for standing him or start, like needing some of theirs and kept just in case. Yeah, and you think, oh. Last turn, if I'd used his renown, I would have bloody won this game. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, in my experience, it's quite rare that you have enough warships that you can use him in all the challenges he's available for, stand him each time, kneel out their problem locations, and still have warships left over to give him renown. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot to You know, if you've got one warship left over and it's the last challenge of the round, you're still going to kneel it to stand him more often than not, because then you win dominance and the power goes on your faction card rather than on him. Yeah. So really, for Greyjoy, you're just torn between Balon and Seven Gold Euron. Yeah, and I can definitely physically see a deck where you're not running any Balons. Yeah. I mean, all of them are amazing, but it's not like they don't have huge characters. Or even just, like, I can see, especially in a Prince deck, you can very easily run core Balon, um, like, just for the effect and not even get the Renown. 
Yeah, I mean, he still gets you that power for an opposed. Yeah. And also helps you trigger this agenda. Yeah, or likewise, I can see naming Balon as your prince and either changing to the six gold Euron or just running the seven gold Euron anyway because his effect is great with or without Renown. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Greyjoy can definitely work around it and probably more than most of the factions benefit from their stand because their characters are so big impact and also the card draw because while Greyjoy now have kind of caught up with card draw, he always uses more cards. Yeah. So he's next... Like Martel, you Martel. don't really care. I mean, Martel won't have got Quentin. Yeah, if you're running Quentin and the Red Viper. Yeah. Or And the Bastard of God's Grace. Yeah, I mean, Bastard of God's Grace is bad with this agenda, for certain. Yeah. Um, If you don't name him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you do name him, that's an interesting deck. I'll say that much. Yeah. I mean, you're really, really wanting that two gold attorney econ on ambush. Yeah. Or events. But, you know, you might pick one of the Vipers. Yeah, and then just not run that Quentin, not run the yeah. Bastard of God's Grace, move on with your life. Like, you can't yeah. run, what, Harmon Ulla? Does he have Renown? I don't even know he because does. he doesn't see play. He does have Renown. It's one me a game once. Nice. Night's Watch, I think only Corrin has printed Renown. Uh... Yeah, off the top of my head. Yeah, then so. Dennis Malister has it on defence. And obviously... When was the last time he saw play, though? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Longclaw can give renown to someone. Lord Commander can have someone mm. gain power. But probably those cards you'd want on your prince anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've got so few renown that it's not a downside. It's not forcing you to build your deck in a certain way. You might not play Corrin if you want Jon Snow to get the re- you know all the power on him, but everyone else... Yeah. You don't care about? Yeah, exactly. And that only leaves Targaryen. And it's like, I mean, they've got Drogo, Daenerys, like if you're running core Daenerys with Drogon, and they've got Dario. I think that's it. Uh, Jorah Mormont. Oh, Jorah. But, I mean, very rarely does he end the game in play, in my experience. Sometimes he does, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you sometimes get him into... Two power on him and go, well, I don't really want to do any more challenges with him because I'm on 14 power. <laughs> yeah. I guess but, it also limits the number of things you can trigger Jiqui on. Yeah. And, you know, Targ have a lot of power gain attachments. Silversteed, um, Warrior's Braid. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess, again, though, you just end up putting those attachments on your prince anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you're building that deck... What you you're either going to pick Drogo, Cal Drogo or Daenerys probably in that kind of deck. Yeah. And you know losing out on the other one is probably fine. Yeah. Especially seems you know if they kill it it just comes back anyway so. Yeah, and a lot of Targ decks don't even run Core Danny. Those yeah. that do probably don't care so much about Cal Drogo anyway. No, probably not the current builds. I think if you're going on that hyper kill deck that you want Cal Drogo, that you need Cal Drogo, you're better running Queen. Yeah, exactly. Um, that just leaves us with Tyrell. Yeah, with Tyrell, it is a cost. Yeah, I mean, the amount of damage it does to Tyrell's card pool is huge. They have so many good cards because they're four cost, you know, bicons 
like three or four strengths with Renown. Yeah, and they've yeah. got a number of more expensive characters with Renown who are great as yeah. well. Which, and yeah, then what you're left with, the spies and the informants. Yeah, there's some stuff you can do in the higher costs, mm. like, you know, you can run, like, Brightwater Host, the six gold non-unique that bounces a card from Shadows and then gives a unique Tyrell character two power, because that's yeah. putting the power on your prince rather than on them. But yeah, I mean, like all the factions can build towards it and definitely, you know, warp your deck and stuff. But yeah, it's certainly kind of... not a default agenda in that case. Yeah, like a default agenda for Tyrell doesn't say, okay, Garland, Brienne, Knight of Flowers, Randall Tarly, Renly Baratheon, Marjorie Tyrell, pick one. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's <laughs> quite the list. Yeah, and I didn't even list everyone there. I only listed yeah. the the ones that are always going in. Yeah, yeah. I could have brought up Garth the Gross. I could have brought up John Fossaway. I didn't. Yeah, it's true. You could have brought up Night of Summer. Yeah. Could have brought up um, Arrogant Contender. Could have brought yeah, up... Yeah, so I... They just... There's so many. <laughs> so I think looking at that list, it's about half the factions. That, like, card pool is kind of relatively hard hit by that, but then the other half is kind of... Doesn't care about that downside at all. Yeah. But, you know... But in Martell, that sort of stand on that high impact character is probably a lot less important for your deck because you're probably just running on of low impact, non unique chuds. Yeah. I guess then the other factor in the default agenda argument is how reliably can it be triggered? Because unlike Fealty and unlike Wars to Come, this agenda is functionally worse than blank if you're not able to trigger it. Yeah. Because at that point, all it says is, name a character, your other characters can't gain power. Yeah, and I think that's definitely a big question to ask, you know, can your deck win that challenge by five? Because it's what happened to Sea of Blood, you know, Sea of Blood really dropped off because everyone teched against it and went, you're not winning this military challenge by five. Either Martel was like, here's all my imprisons, you don't have any military icons, or you play Stark and go, oh, I only have to, you know, say no to you in one challenge. Yeah. And the rest of your deck is so in, like is now more inefficient than just a normal deck. Yeah, I'll trigger what? Winterfell, or I'll just oppose with stuff, or I'll trigger Rickon. Yeah. And similarly, this Stark can do all of that stuff, except now they can also just oppose with Caitlyn. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you know, Stark is. Top of the meta at the moment, I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty undeniable. Yeah, I mean, depending on how much impact the barrel box has. Yeah. You know, it's yet to sort of be assessed by me anyway. Yeah. The other thing is that if the barrel box does have a reasonable amount of impact, Baratheon own the power challenge. Like, yeah. can you push a power challenge through by five if, a, you know, a third of the decks in the meta are running traitor to the crown? Yeah. I mean, even other barrel decks will trigger all. I think, at that point. Yeah. So, I think if people are aware, like, uh, if people are building with Prince as an opponent in mind, then it will struggle. And it's when people sort of move on that it will start to creep back into the meta in that regard. Yeah, I think it's probably right. I think it'll just come in fits and waves. I think, you know, my conclusion is that the upside is good, you know, and is strong, does what you want to do, you know, 
what most decks want to do, standard big characters, draws a card, but, you know, it does make your game plan more linear, and I think once you make your deck do that, then it's not really a default agenda. It's yeah. definitely a more prescribed agenda. Yeah. It is, of course, with the um, the opponent stopping you thing, worth pointing out the other side of that, which is that, at the very least in that case, it's making your opponent have to, you know, make poor decisions to play around it. Um, yeah. In much the same way that, like, we talked about the threat of activation with Reigns of Castamere. You know, if you're up against a Reigns opponent, a lot of the time people's first instinct is to stop the win by five, even if, were they to actually sort of think about it, they don't really care about any of the Reigns triggers. Yeah. And I think similarly, you might see people like over-defend power challenges to try to stop the trigger, even when... You know, maybe they've already done military and intrigue, and it's like, so they stand the guy and draw a card, so what? Yeah, I mean, if that's just on defense, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um. So what you're saying to me is that you should put three put to the sword, three put to the torch, and three hands of gold. Yeah. Yeah, Prince That Was Promised deck. Yes, because the opponent is guaranteed to forget that they exist. Yeah, and you're just going to go, oh yeah, I'm trying to win this power challenge by five. And the next thing you know, boards are gone. And then you can win your power challenge by five. Yeah, so all Sea of Blood decks are going to switch to uh, to this agenda. Yep. I mean, if you squint, Sea of Blood only really just draws you a card, so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah both of them say after you win a challenge by five, Kneel your faction card and add a card to your hand from your deck, or exactly in the case of Prince, potentially your discard or dead pile. And you know that'll be the one. And you know on that line, I think where Prince is really going to shine is these kind of fun Prince decks, which it will be the default agenda for Jank decks. Yes, yeah, I think not even just Jank decks, but certainly certainly Jank decks as well. Um, but I think any decks that sort of are actually really strongly built around a specific character. So, like, I'd give an example of Clansman, I think, is basically going to become Prince Tyrion. Because, like, even though Sea of Blood is really good for that deck, I think that that deck basically, in my experience, lives or dies by whether it can get Tyrion. Yeah, um, I mean... And so having, yeah, having that search on your agenda... I think that ups the consistency of that deck a lot. Definitely. And then, you know, searching Tyrion, keeping them out of your dead pile. I mean, otherwise, you're just playing a load of Klansmen, which are all military monocons with kind of slightly below curve stats now, because they were printed a while ago. Yeah. And, you know, Tyrion is the one thing that makes that deck an engine rather than a pile of cards. Yeah, agreed. But, yeah, looking beyond that, as you say, to the jank agendas or to the jank decks, like, stuff like the phrase, I know they've got a bunch of tech with crossing for very obvious reasons, but if yeah. I was to build a fray deck, which I won't, but if I was to build a fray deck, it would be with this agenda for Walder Frey, because that deck is so much better when you see Walder than when you don't. Yeah, I mean, in the same way, all your fra- sort of phrase are kind of one strength less than their cost bicons and have very little effect, but when you put Frey on the board, Walder Frey on the board, it goes, all your cards are just in every challenge and all the time, and you know, on the agenda, you put them in two challenges, he's doing his job. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, similarly, uh, Bastard Viper. I think yeah. he will love this agenda. Yeah, I mean, none of you the Sand Snakes get power on them, don't care about it, but, you know, getting Bastard Viper and building around him, you know, and same way Klansman. So what do you think's the your favourite so far of the Princes? I, my personal favourite is one that I played at a little sort of less serious tournament a couple of weeks ago, which was Tyrell Prince Jacken. Ooh, nice. Um, that was kind of based on Hanno's song deck from a couple of years ago. Well, not a couple of years ago, from a, from a year ago. Yeah. Um, where it's running Jacken and it's running loads of songs and it's got, you know, Mag the Mighty and stuff like that. And if you do want a way of basically guaranteeing the Prince trigger... I can confirm Mag the Mighty plus off to Goldtown will get the job done. Yeah, Mag the Mighty is definitely one of my top picks for the prince that was promised. Yeah, but yeah, get, having a prince where you can search them out and then that same turn use Last of the Giants to bring them in and have them be impactful, that's good fun. Yeah, I think that kind of getting someone in hand and then putting them straight into play is pretty good. Yeah. Um, Joe Harrison, the crosskeys, is playing the Dothraki version with... Uh, Dothraki C, so you win them power by five, get Cal Jogo, put him into play straight away, and then do two military challenges. Nice. Yeah. That that see that's the sort of thing that I love for this, and I think yeah going back to what the original question was, I don't think it's necessarily going to become a default agenda for good stuff decks, but I do think that it might become a default agenda for a certain type of player. Yeah, definitely. A good thing deck. One thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, not even a good thing, a fun thing deck. A thing I want to see the effect of it go off deck. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's brilliant, you know. There's always in our chats, every time there's a agenda spoiled, my always reaction is that it's garbage. (laughs) Every, Every one has always been that way, because none of them seem particularly... Interesting on the face of it. Things like green sighting, it's like, you know, why bother printing this? But when they printed this, I'm like, hmm, I can understand why you've printed this. Yeah, it just adds more richness and variety to the decks available in the game. Yeah, certain. And that's what you kind of want to see out of your cards. Yeah, agreed. Okay, is there any other point you want to make on the on the prince that was promised, or should we wrap it up there? No, I don't think so. I think we're good. Okay. I'm sure there's something really obvious we've missed, but... Um, well, yeah, thank you very much, Vince, for asking the question. And thank you very much, Matt, not only for answering it, but for then coming back and re-answering it after the, the first failure. No, no, it's fine. It's kind of funny because we have talked about some slightly different things, but also we did it in reverse order last time. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we've no. kept it interesting for us and no one else will ever understand it, truly. No, no, no. I'm happy to do these. I've really enjoyed it than when we did them the first time, so hopefully these ones will, won't come out too jilted. Yeah, I look forward to recording the other two episodes again as well. And, yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Getting a full, like, slightly alternate universe series on what was in- initially intended. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Uh, oh, well. But yeah, thank you very much, and thank you to everyone for listening, and until next episode, we'll see you soon.